Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Hitchcock University, where you learn filmmaking from the masters. All right. This is our third class session on the great Marty Scorsese. Um, we're going to talk about Mean Streets. Uh, this is a script Marty and a friend have been working on for years. Uh, his friend from school, Martic Martin, who uh, continued to be a collaborator with Marty um, into, geez, at least until Raging Bull. Um, I'd have to look at, at, at Martic's IMDb to really know how much further that went, but at least to Raging Bull. So this is a script that Martic, uh, Martic Martin really... Uh, really kind of helped him iron out the plot, whereas Marty filled it in with the atmosphere and the characters and the things from uh, from his life that he'd always knew from the old neighborhood. Um, and this is what became Main Streets, another partly autobiographical venture in the vein of Marty's first film, Who's That Knocking at My Door? Um, mean Streets, for those of you who don't know, is the story of a young man caught between the world of organized crime and his religion, who was also trying to to take a reckless friend under his wing and help him survive on the mean streets. Um, and the reason it's a partly autobiographical venture is because this is a film that, that took a lot of Marty's experiences from the Lower East Side of Manhattan, um, surrounded by organized crime and uh, a very, very Italian neighborhood, um, and was able to kind of synthesize it into a story. So Marty's coming off of Barkscar Bertha, the low-budget film he'd made with Roger Corman, and, uh, and is also coming off of the advice that uh, independent, New York independent filmmaker John Cassavetes gave him, saying, you just made a piece of crap. You need to go back and go back to where you started. Make something like Who's That Knocking at Your Door? Do you have... Cassavetes asks him, do you have anything that you're passionate about, that you can get off the ground immediately? Do you have a script? And he says, yes, I've got one. It's called Season of the Witch. That's what became Mean Streets. And that's how we got here. Um, so he takes Kezvedi's advice. He goes around and starts shopping the script around, takes it to Corman, and Corman says, uh, you know, we really like it, but we also just made um, a, a what's now referred to as a black exploitation film, movies like Shaft and, uh, uh, oh, dear, um, Foxy Brown and Coffee, etc. Um, that 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 could really, y y you know, we just made a very successful black exploitation film. We could do your movie, same plot. We'll just make it African American. Marty says, "Well, let me think about that." Marty goes back and he thinks about it. He really does think about it, and he says, "You know, the problem is the the story of this movie really isn't anything. It's the characters and the atmosphere that make it something." So it needs to stay Italian-American. And Corman says, I understand that. That's fine. Uh, I'll still distribute it, but I'm not going to finance it. So Marty goes around, finally finds someone to finance the film, is able to hire um, a lot of Corman's crew uh, from Boxcar Bertha um, to help him do the movie on budget and on time. Uh, but that meant one thing. That meant... Most of it had to be shot in L.A. That he was eventually able to negotiate, I think, seven shooting days in New York, but the rest of it was shot in L.A., um, which is really interesting considering that it feels so much like L.A. Or, excuse me, it feels so much like New York. Um, Marty was really able to capture the essence of what it was to be there on the Lower East Side of Manhattan 
uh, without being there for most of the shooting days. This is a character-based film. Marty was right about that aspect of it. It really is a character-based film. And what that meant is Marty was really going to have to spend a lot of time directing actors, which he admittedly, uh, at the time, said that he didn't really know that much about. So he took a few different approaches that I want to outline. Um, One of the hardest things in my experience about directing a film is not about the camera. You have people to help you with that. You have a director of photography. You may have an operator, an AC, a producer, other people who are going to give you input on how to shoot the movie. Almost nobody is going to have any advice on how to get what you want out of an actor. You are on your own if you're a director, probably. And it's one of the... it. it really comes down to figuring out how to work with people, how to communicate with people, how to collaborate with people. So I'm going to outline some of the techniques that Marty used on this movie that really served him well. He did a lot of listening. He let the actors speak for themselves on how they felt about scenes and moments, etc. And was able to listen to them, not hear them, really listen to what they had to say and figure out a way to take take what they were saying and apply it to the filming of the movie. And in the end, he really just let them do what they wanted because he got to a, a point on this film where he really realized that it wasn't so much what they were saying, it's did he believe what they were saying? Was it true? which is something a lot of artists use, and I think there's a not... It's such an abstract term, I really don't like it, but um, but but is that not the heart of, of acting for the audience? Do you believe what the, what the actors are saying? And Marty took on the role of being the first audience member for these actors so that he could communicate to them, I'm not believing that. That, that, that doesn't feel true because the actual words aren't nearly as important as the meaning and the meaning that gets communicated. And in order to, com- to really communicate that meaning, it has to feel real, has to be believable. And the way you get those kind of believable performances, at least in his case, was you bring in people who understand the world you're trying to communicate. He brought in guys from that old world, Little Italy, Lower East Side um, way of life. Guys like Harvey Keitel, guys like Robert De Niro, who actually, Robert De Niro is actually largely Irish, but was raised in an Italian neighborhood. And he knew a lot of the guys that Marty had had hang out with. In fact, he grew up two streets away from where Marty grew up. But they never really got to know each other until they moved out to Hollywood. Small world, right? And the reason that that Marty gives, the justification, not even really a justification, um, but the thing that Marty has to say about this is the actor has to have ideas about the character. The actor has to come in with an idea of, of who that character is. You cannot, as the director, create that character from scratch with the actor. The actor has to be able to think for themselves. But 
those ideas that the actor comes in with need to correspond with the movie. They need to be in alignment with the vision you have for the film. And when I say vision, I'm not talking about I'm not talking about the movie in your head. I'm not talking about the actual aesthetic of the movie. I'm talking about the way you understand the story. You as the filmmaker should have an understanding of what the story is. You should understand, okay, when so-and-so does this, that means this for the characters, and that's this part of the story that, that moves us into the next part, or this is part of their arc because of X, Y, and Z. You need to understand all of that stuff for every major moment in the script. And if the actor comes in and their ideas are different than your ideas, then you may have the wrong actor on your hands. You may need to find a different actor who can be more in line with what you're trying to do. And I guarantee that's going to make it a lot easier. My professor used to always say 80% of directing actors is casting. If you do not cast the right person, you will never get the right performance. Uh, I don't know how many movies I've heard of where the director, after a couple weeks, just had to can one of their actors. Robert Zemeckis on Back to the Future did not originally hire Michael J. Fox to play Marty. He hired, I can't even remember who it was, but he hired somebody else. And they stuck with him and they stuck with him, but nothing was really right. And finally, they had to let him go and recast the protagonist, the main role of that movie, number one on the call sheet, the guy who's there almost every single day you shoot. They had to recast that role because they didn't have an actor who came in with the right ideas about the character. And that's what Marty's saying. And one of the other things that he did, this goes back to my first point, is basically letting them, do, letting the actors do what they want. He did a lot of improv, but he was smart about his improv. He didn't do a lot of improv on the set. Most of his improv was done in rehearsals where he'd really let the actors explore and do whatever it is they wanted to do. And it was from those improvised rehearsals that the dialogue would be transcribed from and then brought onto the set and then would be used as kind of a loose script. Again, not something to be nailed down in stone, but something that would help get the actors back to that point where, they were, where they'd been. And the reason he didn't just let them totally go off script was because of the time and the budget. It's a low-budget movie, and they didn't have all the time in the world to make it. So a lot of his direction consisted of make sure you hit this point and make sure you say this because that's the point of the scene. You know, we had to get he he had to make sure that that in this kind of free flowing work off of improvisations that we still get back to the point of the scene. Because otherwise, if you can't hit if the dialogue can't contain these three points or whatever it is, then there's no point in the scene because it has no function in the movie. So Marty treated them as collaborators, not as movable props. He let his actors explore because he'd casted people he knew he could trust and he 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 gave them that that leeway because he did trust them and let them go off in their own directions so long as it served the story and that at the end of the day that's the most important thing whatever they say needs to serve the story and it needs to be believable
And the last thing I want to talk about in Mean Streets is uh, is the music. Music is prevalent in all Marty Scorsese movies, um, going all the way back to Who's That Knocking at My Door, which is titled after a song in the movie. And music is especially prevalent in in Mean Streets. And the reason it's prevalent in Mean Streets is because when they wrote the script, they had music in mind. It was not an afterthought, which is what I did on my last movie. Um, (laughs) The music was part of the movie from the beginning, from before the cameras even rolled. So the first thing Marty did was have his producer go out and get the rights to the music. The scenes, the coverage was designed around the music. The blocking was designed around the music so that when he got into editing, it could be cut with the music. He had a little bit of an advantage because it was a different time. Music rights didn't cost as much, uh, and he actually had money to spend on music and was and had a good producer who was able to cut deals for the music. But... Um, but even even if you know you're going to score a scene with a royalty-free recording of a classical Beethoven song, use that to its full dramatic value. Know what that music is. Know that music intimately. Almost almost treat it like a music video. You almost have to do that um, uh, if if you know the music is going to be so instrumental to your story. If when you're writing, you know a certain piece of music is going to be there because that's how you want it to be and you know you can get the song, then then you have to plan everything around that. You have to plan your shots around that. You have to plan your blocking around that. You have to plan everything around it so that you can cut with it. All right, that's all I've got for Mean Streets. A little bit shorter today. Actually, no, no, no. Actually, you know what? Let me tell you a story real quick. We can fill a little bit of time. Um, Let me tell you a couple stories, actually. Um... There is a scene in Mean Streets uh, where there is a a car shooting. And that scene was taken from Martin Scorsese's life, real life. And, and, and this is what I mean when I'm talking about Marty's experiences are in this movie. They really are. Marty sees a lot of himself... Um, and kind of a composite, kind of composites of a couple of of real people in the characters. Um, he also sees his his father and and one of his uncles um, in this film. And uh, but but yeah, there's there's this car shooting in the movie, and the real life story was Marty and a few friends of his were riding around in a in a car. And for whatever reason, Marty and one of his friends decided to get out and go home. And only a few minutes later, the driver of that vehicle gets into an argument with the driver of another vehicle and is subsequently shot and killed. Not five minutes after Marty gets out of the car. And that obviously had a big impact on Marty for the rest of his life. He has had to think about the fact that I could have been in that car and I could be dead today. So Marty takes a lot of the car shooting that's in the film um, very personally. 
and it was a very personal expression of something that happened not to him but to a friend of his someone he knew someone just another kid from the neighborhood so there's a lot of personal expression and personal exploration in these Martin in these Scorsese films that I think can easily go overlooked if you don't know the stories behind them and thankfully for Marty he didn't die and uh, and his his personal experience and personal expression netted him the opportunity to be in the uh, in the annals of Warner Brother crime films the same same company that put out Scarface and uh, Little Caesar and Public Enemy and all these great um, all these great crime films of the 30s and 40s um, they bought Mean Streets and distributed Mean Streets um, as well as Goodfellas as well as The Departed the story of that distribution um, Marty Marty went to go show it to another studio or another production distribution uh, company and that that studio turned it off halfway through and said we don't want this get it out of here this is this is this is crap so uh, nervous, he takes it over to Warner Brothers, and the guys at Warner are just falling over for this movie. They love every minute of it. You know, food comes in and they're passing out food, and they're like, one of the guys is like, "Oh, watch this! Watch this! This is great!" You know, "Oh, wow, that's amazing! Oh, oh, oh look at this! Look at this! Look at this!" Um, kind of thing. And uh, next thing you know, Marty has a deal with Warner Brothers to distribute his third film, uh, a personal exploration of the area he, he grew up in, a movie that he describes as as uh, a film that would really give you a sense of what it was like to live in an Italian-American neighborhood in the 70s. Uh, almost an anthropological study, not even really um, great storytelling or anything like that, but a very, very watchable film, a very fascinating story and film from the era. Um a great experiment aesthetically by the young Marty Scorsese and uh, and now a classic in its own right. Um, so, yeah, that is uh, our third class session in this semester. Um, thank you again for listening to Hitchcock University, where you learn filmmaking from the masters. Uh, please uh, reach out to us with any questions, comments, concerns. Otherwise, um, yeah, that's uh, that's all I have. Please reach out to me at hitchcockuniversity at gmail.com. That is my email. Uh, we also have a page on Facebook, uh, Hitchcock underscore – no, that's Twitter, Hitchcock underscore U as in university. Page on Facebook is just called Hitchcock University. Uh, please leave a comment, rating, review, uh, wherever it is you tune into our class, whether that's at um, – whether that's on SoundCloud or TuneIn Radio, uh, Stitcher – uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, what have you. Um, thank you again for attending Hitchcock University where you learn filmmaking from the masters. <laughs>